We are we we have just closed a major section of the Bible. So the first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch or the Torah. It's the law books. And so those are all those really weird laws and rituals and, you know, things that you have to do. So we're done with that. We're done with the law, sort of. Praise God, right? Um, and, and now we're going into, the Christian Bible calls it the histories. Um, the Jewish Bible calls it the Nevi'im or the prophets. So we're going into another, another section of the Bible that is more narrative in nature, more Lots of really great stories. So I'm excited about the awesome stories that we get to go over. So um, before we do that, I, I was, when I was studying for the book of Joshua, I, I went through my library to pull out all my Joshua books, and I pulled out this one. And um, uh, I never, actually, I never opened it. I've never read it. And then um, it was given to me in August 4th, 2004. And it says, uh, to Joshua, uh, our future leader, sincerely, your friends from Granite Creek. So that was 12 years ago. So whoever gave me this book, thank you. And I'm sorry that I didn't open it until this week. So, um, but yeah, it's timely, I think. I think God had a, I think God was timely on that. But it's a great book. This guy, uh, Cyril uh, Barber, passed away last year. He's got like six degrees, um, but he's an incredible man of God. I, I love the book. Um, get your Bibles out. We're going to read chapter 1, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now, Joshua obviously was very close to Moses. He was able to hang out with Moses. He just absorbed everything that he saw. Joshua was at the very foot of the mountain when Moses was being downloaded by God for 40 days. This is what he says in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross that Jordan into the land about the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea of the west. Underline this part. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Basically, he's telling Joshua, you're going to be immortal. You're untouchable. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will be led these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Underline this. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Don't be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He wants to fight your battles. This is God's will for your life. God's will for your life is to be successful. God's will for your life is for you to be prosperous. God's will for your life is that you can have an inheritance. Maybe in your family, no one has any money. It is still God's will that you will receive an inheritance. 
These are God's promises for you. What was spoken to Joshua right now at this very moment is being spoken to you. He wants you to be successful, prosperous, and to have an inheritance. This is the theme of the book. The theme of the book is success. It's the pathway to success. It's the best self-help book you could possibly read. Aren't you excited about it? Don't, do you want to be successful? I sure as heck do. I don't want to be broke. I don't want to have bad luck anymore. I'm tired of uh, Murphy's Law happening to me over and over and over again. I want to I wanna step into success. Hmm? That's the very positive side of the book. But in reality, this book is a difficult read, folks. It's very challenging. It's very challenging because it is bloody. Like this book is a, it's a bloody mess. There's violence and sex and intrigue and lying and deceit and betrayal. Uh, This is one of the books that the secular world has has probably one of the biggest problems with because it is. This is the one that that they say, you know what? I cannot align myself to this religion because it it reads as if God is promoting whole scale genocide. Like how in the why in the world would I want to be a part of this? Because what God is saying, He's saying, I'm going to give you this land. Did you, did you catch how, how much land they were, he was covering? Everything from the Euphrates, every, the, the land of the Hittites, which is Turkey, all the way down to Egypt. Uh, Israel does not populate those lands to this day. They, I know, it's complicated, isn't it? Very complicated. But God gave that land to the Israelites. It is their inheritance. When they were forced into Egypt, they lost it for 400 years. 400 years, they were not in their promised land. They were not inside of God's best for their lives. They, had a, they, had a, they were under bondage. They were in slavery. And God is saying, okay, now is the time. I have released you from this lifestyle of slavery and bondage. You have spent the, Moses and via the Holy Spirit has led you into the desert to basically purify all the whiners and the grumblers and the complainers out. They all had to die out. So they had to go into this season of living in the desert to be, to be purified so that they could take their inheritance now, Joshua actually has a huge advantage. I mean, he is a lot like Moses. He does, he does things because he, he's, he's been in Moses' presence. He's, he's viewed him. He's copied him. So he does a lot of things that, that Moses does, but he's got a huge advantage because he doesn't have to deal with all the whiners and the complainers and the grumblers because they all died. Because they all chose to live in the desert. They chose not to move in to God's gift. They didn't want to accept God's gift. It was their decision. Because it was too hard. Because there were Nephilim, the Anakites. There were giants in the land. There were castles that had walls that went up into the heavens. It was impossible to do. And so they they decided, you know what? We would just rather eat icky manna and die in the desert. And they did. So Joshua's got a lot to work with. He's got a, he's got a whole generation of young people that, that want to do something. The, the young people that, you know what, they haven't been tainted yet. <laughs> they haven't, they're a little idealistic. You know what, they want to go for it. And they are at the east side of the Great Jordan River. Maybe some two million people, maybe, maybe even more. It's kind of hard to estimate how many people were there. And just like Moses, Joshua sends in some spies to spy out the land. 
Instead of sending 12, he sends two this time. And they go in, they, they go spy out the land. He says, I want you to especially take a look at the city of Jericho. Big giant castle, big giant walls. This is, you know, look at, check out the land, specifically this first city that we're going to get. And so two of these spies, they go into, they spy out the land, they go to Jericho, and they, they, they visit a brothel. They visit a prostitute. I can't, I don't understand why soldiers would go and visit a brothel. See, he laughs. I, 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 he's the only one that laughed out of all you guys. It's funny. It's okay to laugh at my dumb jokes. So yeah, they, visit, they, they visit a prostitute. They must have had a prostitute outreach ministry or something, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny when you read the commentators, they all try to make excuses about this. So they all, you know, it's like, well, you know, that's where you go to get information, blah, blah, blah. And, and when I go to heaven, these two guys are probably going to beat me up, right? <laughs> Rahab. They visit Rahab. Um, I was doing research on this. I did a little bit of research online. Um, there is a brothel to this day in Las Vegas called Rahab. And that's special. <laughs> so, but, I mean, what, that, that's what the enemy likes to do. He likes to mock us. He likes to belittle us. He, like, he wants to make fun of our scriptures. And you know how I feel about Las Vegas. So when you go there, that's what you support. That's what your money supports. It supports institutions that mock a godly woman. Because that's what she was. Because she protected these spies. She... Like prostitution is, is an evil. Can I get an amen? amen. It, it, it's evil, folks. And it has been evil since, the very, since it was very beginnings. And what it does is it puts women in bondage. The, either they're forced into it or either their economic circumstances are like, like that's just the best option that they have. And, you know, the unfortunate truth about the industry of prostitution is that the, the pay scale is a declining scale. The older you get, the less money you make. So it is a vicious cycle. It is the worst thing that could happen. And it is, I mean, and we know this, it is very hard to break out of that cycle of prostitution once you've crossed over because the money is so good and then it just gets worse and it's just eventually these women, they end up, they end up, you know, on the streets, broke or dead. It's, 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 a, it's a disgusting thing. And Rahab, I don't know what it was about her, but she was able to see it. I mean, I don't, it the Bible doesn't tell us specifically what her situation is, but it was probably halfway decent because she had a condo on the wall. She had a condo inside of the, the, the big wall, so we know that she had her own home. Uh, not only was she, I mean, she was a Canaanite. Remember we talked about, you know, this is God saying, I want you to go into Israel. And it is, the Bible doesn't use the word genocide, but the Bible does say, I want you to, I told you this is going to be hard. This is going to challenge you on multiple levels today. But the story is about success. The story is about being prosperous. The story is about getting your inheritance. I'm just telling you, it's going to be difficult. God says, I want you to exterminate all of them. Kill them all. Men, women, children. Thanks. Um, how do we do this? That doesn't make sense. To my Western leanings, I don't, I, my, my sense of justice and what is right and what is wrong, it seems like God is kind of wrong here. And this, maybe this will help. These, the Canaanites, they were not good people. So first of all, let's just, let's just let's get there first. I mean, you, you think ISIS is bad. These guys are worse. The Canaanites and the Malachites, all these guys, they are, they're ISIS, but worse. I, don't, I mean, 
I don't know about you, but whenever I, whenever I see the images on the news of Christians being murdered and, and people being tortured, being set on fire, I just, I get this anger inside of me. It's where I want them all dead. Do, do you feel this or is it just me? <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> Thank you, Bobby. <laughs> uh, here, come on up. You can take over now. Uh, I was, uh, it was Friday, I was thinking about this, and God says, I want you to pray for ISIS. I'm like, no way. And it was hard. I did, because I had to be obedient. I mean, Jesus wants them saved, but they're so twisted and warped, and they're so bent on evil. It is, it is the incarnation of evil on the planet. I think we all can probably agree with that. You know, Obama just killed a bunch of them yesterday. No one complained about it. None of the liberals said, oh, that's just injustice. No one said that. We all want them dead or saved, one of the two. So we need to see, we need to see the Canaanites in that light, but worse. And Rahab was a prostitute. But not only was she a prostitute, she was a Canaanite prostitute, meaning that she was probably involved in temple prostitution. And Canaanites were notorious for sacrificing their own children to the gods. The, more, the bigger the sacrifice, the more that you're going to get blessed was the mentality. So the ultimate expression of faithfulness to the god Moloch, the god of war, the ultimate expression to faithfulness to Baal, who rides on his, his, uh, his supernatural bull that, that gives you prosperity, is to give him your children. It's disgusting. There's stuff that the Canaanites and the Amalekites and all the kites did. It's so disgusting, I can't even talk about it in church. And so this is what we're dealing with. So God has to completely and radically change the culture of an entire region. So hopefully that will help us to understand a little bit better of what is really going on. God says, I want you to... Exterminate all the Canaanites. Here's the problem. Rahab's a Canaanite, and she makes it out. She makes it out. She probably even sacrificed her own child at one time. She made it out because she saw these two guys that came in, and she understood that there was something on the horizon, that there was a hope on the horizon, that people were stepping into a blessing. They were stepping into a promise, and this is my chance to break this cycle. This is my chance to get out, and she did. She got out. In, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews puts her in the same um, top ten list with Abraham and Moses and Joshua. And it was, it was by faith that Abraham rescued the spies. You see this? It was by faith that she was able to see what was on the horizon. There was this gift of faith that she had inside of her that said, you can get out. You, there is hope for you here. You need to have a little bit of faith. She had no concept of who Yahweh was, but she felt this thing inside of her that she could get out. So it was by faith. And in the book of James, it says, it was by Rahab's actions that led her into righteousness. Do you see this? So not only did she have faith, but she backed it up with actions, and she saved these guys. And the guy said, you know what, Rahab? We pledge our lives to you. Because you saved us, we will save you, and we're willing to put our lives on the line, and this is what you got to do, sister. You have to hang a scarlet rope outside of your window, and that will protect you and... Catch this, that your righteousness and your actions and your faith, not only is it going to save you, guess who else it's going to save? It's going to save your entire 
Canaanite. Well, I'll push it this way. It's going to save your entire ISIS family. How did that feel? Going to save them all. She hangs the red thing out. Now, you guys know the rest of the story. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. You guys sing that in Sunday school, or did you miss that lesson? Um, just like Moses, the, the, it is time for the Israelites to cross the Jordan into their promise. And uh, the Jordan opens up like the Red Sea did. Very similar. Uh, the, the, the waters get held up in a big wall, and two, two million people cross into, into God's promise for them. And, and as, they, as they walk through the, the Ark of the Covenant, the, you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? That big, giant, cool gold box with angels' wings that touch. They, they, they stay in the creek bed, and everybody walks by it. And then God tells Joshua, he says, I want you to, to go into this brook or this riverbed, and I want, your, I want 12 of your, your leaders, your strong men, to pick out some of the biggest boulders you can get. And the Bible says they had to put them up on top of their shoulders, and they carried them out of the bottom of this riverbed, and they, they set them up in some type of a monument, a milestone to the Lord. And it says, whenever your kids ask, what are these rocks for? You can say that this was the day that God's people, this is our milestone, the day that we crossed into God's blessing for us. Because we were once in the desert for 40 years. We were once in Egypt as slaves for 400 years, and it was God that saved us. And this is the monument. These are our milestones to that testimony. Tell your kids about it. Tell your kids about how cool God is. As they go up to this enormous castle. Joshua, I don't, I'd like to read it, but we'll just, I'll just paraphrase. Joshua runs into a big, giant warrior. And Joshua's like, they're ready to go, folks. I mean, they're ready to fight. They know what they have to do, and they want their promise. They're in the promise, but guess what? They have to fight for their promises. Uh, when they crossed over, guess what dried up? The manna, the bread from heaven. You see, they were on spiritual welfare. They were getting food stamps from heaven <laughs> for 40 years, right? And the government of God cut them off. No more food stamps for you guys. No more icky manna. You get to eat tasty food now. Pomegranates and figs and the, the produce that grows out of the fertile soil, the land of milk and honey, you get to eat that now. But you have to work for it. You have to work to get the pleasures in life now. But no more welfare for you guys. I'm cutting you off. And as, um, as Joshua is talking to this angel, well, this warrior, he doesn't know he's an angel yet. And like, they're ready to go. He approaches this guy. He's probably got his hand on his hilt of his sword. He's looking at this warrior and he says to him, are you for us or are you, from, are you for our enemies? And this dude says, this, this warrior says, neither. I am the commander of the angel armies of Yahweh. And Joshua goes, oh, no. <laughs> he probably said something else. But Joshua was like, oh. And he falls, on his, he falls on his knees and he says, what is the Lord telling you? What is the Lord saying? But isn't that an interesting quote? I'm, I'm not for, look, son. <laughs> Let me get something, let's get something straight. I'm not on your side. You're on my side. Who's serving who here, son? Right? Um, and furthermore, these people that I've called you to exterminate, they're important too. 
That's the truth of it, folks. <laughs> I know it's tough, isn't it? Um, just So the Canaanites, they're a cursed people. Uh, if you've got kids, you might want to plug their ears. Maybe, you know what, I'll skip it. I'll skip that part. It's too rough. I've got kids in here. Ask me about it later. But Rahab is saved when, when Joshua marches around the walls of Jericho. They have to play the silent game, right? They can't talk. There's only, only horns that are being blown. On the seventh day, they go around seven times, and on the seventh circle, they all give the battle cry, the hurrah, and the walls of Jericho came crumbling down. They rush in. This is the part we leave out. They kill women and children and all the men. Animals, goats, donkeys, puppies, kittens. They kill them all. (laughs) And Rahab saved. Rahab and her family are saved. And Rahab changes her life. She marries an Israelite named Solomon. She does. They have a child named Boaz. We're going to learn about Boaz in two weeks in the book of Ruth. Their next major descendant in the Bible is King David. And the next major descendant is Jesus Christ himself. From a cursed Canaanite Isis prostitute. Pretty cool, huh? There's some other trash in there, too. Um, But that's the lineage of Jesus. I was watching the, uh, yesterday, I was watching the um, United Shades of America. Have you seen this show? It's where this black guy, Camille, somebody or another, he goes around and he interviews people in, in American culture. And this guy is a stud because he had the courage to walk up to the Ku Klux Klan and interview the Ku Klux Klan. I'm like, what? I gotta buy this guy a drink, man. That guy's a stud. I mean, he was there at, at a cross burning. The only black man in a cross burning that survived it that walked away. And I'm not saying that in a joking way. And the mentality of the Klan is... That the race is, you know, the, the, the descendants of Ham are the cursed people. If, if these idiots would have read their Bible, they would have seen that their Savior, I don't even know if they, they don't have a proper relationship with Jesus. If they did, they wouldn't think the way that they do. All right, God. <laughs> Right? There's no racism in the kingdom of heaven. It's evil. God shows it because the descendants of Ham is in the lineage of Jesus and King David. And and this lady makes the the top ten list of the most faithful people in the Bible. It's cool. It's very cool. So her faithfulness, her actions led to her success. All right, next major story. They have this huge victory, and they burn Jericho all the way down to its foundations. Archaeological evidence for that, by the way. They burn that sucker down, and all that's left is metal, gold, silver. That's all that's left, and the city is dedicated to the Lord, it's, it's what we call the first fruits. It is, it is God's tithe. So that whole city was meant for destruction. Harem, that's what they call it. 
It is, a, it is a devoted city to God, all of it. So even what was left over, the stuff that survived the burn, you feeling the burn? The stuff that survived the burn, sorry. Uh, no, okay, okay. The stuff that survived the burn is, is given to the temple. So, you know, how do, you, how do the ancients, uh, how do they support an army? They let the, they let the soldiers, you know, take, the booty to loot the city. That's how you, that's how they did it back then. That was their payroll. But so they couldn't take any of the money. They couldn't take any of the gold. Uh, all of it was devoted to God. So this is the, this is the 10th percent. This is the first cities, the first fruits, all of it goes to God. And so the next campaign that they do is they, they go and it's like, okay, well, the next closest city is AI or I, it depends on what tradition you're in, tomato, tomato, it's, we'll just call it I. So this, this city of I, it's not a big city. Just send 3,000 guys over there. It's a, it's a cakewalk. It's so easy we don't even need to pray about it. Have you ever made that mistake? <laughs> it's so easy. This is not even, this is, let's send some guys over there and we'll take care of it. And then we'll go out next to the, the next big castle that we'll get. So they send these three guys, these, these 3,000 guys over there, and they get whooped by AI. They get routed. What? Joshua was like freaking out. I thought, God, I thought you said that, that we were untouchable. I thought that you said that every place that we lay our feet, that we would have success. Why are we, go, why are we failing here, God? I don't understand what's going on. So Joshua, and legitimately, I guess, Joshua has a crisis of faith. Have you ever had a crisis of faith? Oh, fun times. It's called the dark night of the soul, where you're trying to figure out if God even exists. All right, this is what happens. This is Joshua's freak out. You ever have a freak out? Here we go. This is Joshua freaking out. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Remaining there until evening, the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Oh, sovereign Lord. Why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us? See, he's, he's magnifying the problem here. You see this? He's making a big deal about this, blowing it out of proportion. To deliver us into the hands of the Amorites. Uh, Amorites and Canaanites are synonymous. They, they, they translate back and forth. Basically, Amorites are Canaanites. Canaanites are Amorites, just so you know. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Does that sound familiar? If only we had been, if we only stayed in Egypt, at least we'd have some fish to eat. Oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about us and they will sound us they will surround us and wipe us off the face of the earth. Blowing it out of proportion. There's two million people there. It's not going to be, you know, come on. Um, what then will you do for your own great name? So he's putting it on God now, right? We do that. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand, snap out of it. It's a, it's a big smack. Snap out of it. Stand up. What are you doing on your face? Stand up. What are you doing down there on your face? You know that sometimes you can pray too much? Is it possible to pray too much? Like, you can pray and go to the grocery store at the same time. Like, there's times where you can spend, you know, a significant amount of time on your knees. But you got to get stuff done. Paul was able to figure this out. He said, I pray without ceasing. I'm making nets because i got to pay my bills. I'm still praying. You can pray too. You can talk too much. God's saying to Joshua, you talk too much. You should never shut up. Get up. You stand up so I can have a real conversation with you. That make sense? 
So it's not until Joshua stands up that he's able to hear God. It's not until he stands up that he can actually listen to God's instructions and to actually figure out what the problem is. Because Joshua is clueless at this time. He has no idea what's going on. It is not his fault that they failed. Did you know that? This is what happens. This is what God says. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant which I have commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things from Jericho. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. This is why Israel cannot stand against their enemies. They're going to they're gonna live in failure because Israel sinned. They turn their backs and run because they have made liable to they have been made liable to destruction. All right, this is the most terrifying verse in the whole Bible. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you. It is devoted to destruction. What's he saying? He's saying Joshua, the deal's off unless you fix this problem. There's sin in Israel. It was not your fault, but it is your problem. These are your people. And unless you fix this problem, I'm not going to be with you anymore. You will not be Superman anymore. You will go from being untouchable to being touchable to being dead. This is it. You have to fix this problem. The devoted things. That means that somebody stole money from God at Jericho. That tenth percent, that that thing that was devoted to God. And who are how much did Israel get away with? How many did it? Wow, God's really ticked off, and he's using the word Israel, so it must have been a lot of guys. It's not. God says Israel, but it was only one man. Isn't that rough? One man. One man wrecked the whole thing. His name was Achan. Let's see if we can hear about him. I'll paraphrase. Achan... When, he, when the walls came down, he rushed in. He ran into somebody's house. And there he saw a bar of pure gold, a bunch of silver, and a robe from Babylonia. The robe was probably worth more than the gold and the silver put together. And he coveted them, and he took them, and he hid them in his tent. He buried a hole in, the, in, 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 the, in his tent, and he hid these things. He was thinking to himself... This is going to be my inheritance. This is going to be my 401k. It's my investment. I'm going to take these things from God, and no one's going to know. No one saw me take them. It's not hurting anybody. The robe was just going to burn up anyway, so why shouldn't I just take it? Right? Isn't that how we... uh, justify things. No one's going to use it, so I might as well just take it myself. And no one's going to know. Listen to what Joshua says. This is uh, 7, verse 19. Joshua said to Achan, my son. They caught him, by the way. I don't know if you figured that out. They had to go tribe by tribe. God says it's that tribe. It's Judah. Clan by clan, God says it's that clan. Family by family, it's the family of Zimri. And there he is. Achan did it. Achan says, I did it, you got me. Joshua's response is, my son, give glory to God the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, and give him praise. 
Tell me what you have done and do not hide it from me. You need to come clean, son. Then he goes on to say, you have brought hardship on Israel and hardship is going to come to you. Are you ready for this? It's going to come to you and your family. Oh, this is so hard, folks. Because Israel is instructed to kill Achan and his entire family. Where God saves a prostitute and her entire family, he has to remove this sin. He's saying, this is so important. This is so serious. And there's consequences for sin. And Achan, you're going to die. And Joshua calls him his son. Give praise to God. It's really almost, it's almost a touching, not touching, but it's very heavy. There's a lot of uh, weight to this. They're making a very serious spiritual point. And the point is this. There's a consequence for sin. And even the things that you do in private, they, have, they, they mean something. They are important. And, and his whole family dies. His sons and his daughters, they they get stoned and all of their possessions, they all get burned up. Well, that's not fair. You can ask God about that when you go to heaven. Um, but here's the spiritual implication of it. It's, it's the sins of the father. They get passed down from generation to generation. It's the, it's the sins that we commit that we think that don't have an effect, but they do. The secret sin that you're harboring, you're thinking to yourself, I am not hurting anybody. My lifestyle does not affect anybody. It does not hurt anybody, so therefore I'm going to do it. The only thing that it does is it affects me. The spiritual principle behind it is it does affect your family. When you live in unrepentant sin, it does affect your family. It, it taints you, and therefore it taints all of those that are around you. Your entire family can get tainted from unrepented sin. And furthermore, it affects your community. And so if you are living in unrepented sin, not only are you affecting your family, you're affecting this church. I told you this was going to be tough. We're talking about success here, though, folks. Don't you want to succeed? Let's take care of some business. Everything goes well after this. I mean, Joshua was obedient. He took care of the problem. They went on for, they go on a run of 36 cities, big cities that they destroy. And everybody gets the plunder from those cities. It all gets distributed. Everybody begins to receive their inheritance. And if, if Joshua hadn't have done what he had done, if he hadn't have been a, a good manager, if he hadn't have taken care of this discipline issue, God would have left them. <sighs> it's tough. But that's the price of success. It's tough sometimes. Harem, that first 10%. We don't like talking about money, do we? And because I told you this was going to be hard because when pastors and preachers and televangelists, they start asking you for money, you just, you just like, right? It makes your skin crawl. I'm going to tell you, I don't want your money. I want your souls. And I want you to be successful and prosperous, and I want you to step into your inheritance, into the promised land, and you can't do it if you're not Tithing. You can, live in the, you can live in the desert and still be a Christian. You can go to heaven and that's fine. You can. But you can't be blessed. Even if you... Look, and you might be, and the Bible deals with this too, with rich folks. God, why are all these rich folks, they, they have all this money and they're, 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 they're so prosperous. What's going on? And then... They're wicked and I'm not, and why aren't you blessing? Right? Sons, daughters, rich folks aren't blessed. They're rich. They have their own God. Mammon, money. 
I want to be blessed. I don't need to be rich. I want God fighting my battles for me. And because of this, because of Joshua was so faithful and so obedient, and he took this very silly thing so seriously. What, really? A Babylonian robe? What's the big deal about a Babylonian robe? It's a big deal. Because of this, we see God fight for his people. What they tried to do within their own power at Ai, they got whooped. Five kingdoms say, we have a problem. They just, they just whooped Jericho. They just whooped Ai. Uh, we got to figure something out. So five of the biggest, baddest kings, the Hebron king, the Jerusalem king, all of these guys, they, they, they put aside their differences. I guarantee you they were warring nonstop until Israel got there. They all said, you know what? Um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. All right, guys, let's be buddies. Let's, let's huddle up because we need to beat these guys. So the five most powerful kings that go into an alliance, guess who fights the battle? Who fights? God fights for them. They start, they start, they just go for it, you know? They go, they go face these kings off, and this is what happens. This is, um, sorry, this is 10, verse 11. As they fled before Israel, these five kings, on the road down from Beth Horon to Azka, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstorms than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. God wants to fight your battles. Supernaturally. Like I said, uh, this is one of the most criticized books in the Bible because it's violent and because it's supernatural, because there's miracles involved. And they would, you know, I hate this stuff. But like, like, like Bible scholars, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they don't believe that miracles are for today. And they, these are the analytical types that say, you know what, there's, an ex, there's a scientific explanation for everything. And so they have a scientific explanation as to why the Red Sea split apart. It was not the power of God. It was, it was the north wind that blew back the Reed Sea. And, and then, you know, just like Napoleon, Napoleon was able to cross the Reed Sea because the wind blew it across. And that must have been what happened. And, you know, these Bible writers blew it out of proportion and they elaborated it and, you know, they made it more supernatural. But it it was just a natural occurrence. There's nothing supernatural that really happened here. Oh, God, you know what? It, it, is, it is scientifically possible that hail came down in Israel in a very hot place and killed people. It, I mean, Israel is a lot like Southern California. The climate's almost similar. And, you know, occasionally it hails. But they're not Texas-sized hail balls that kill people. Little pebbles you slip on, it, it's, it's, right? But okay. Okay, you, you believing skeptic, you unbelieving believer. An unbelieving believer. There's a lot of this. It was a freak storm. But watch this one. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites slash Canaanites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, in front of everybody, he's saying this out loud. There's a big giant leap of faith here. O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valleys of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nations avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. 
This is by far, by scale, the largest miracle that has ever happened on the planet. And it happened because Joshua asked for it. There's never been a day like it, and there has never been a day since. Joshua asked for the biggest miracle ever so that he could kill some people. No parting of the Red Sea, no cool stuff like that. He's just like, I need the sun to stop and the moon to stop. I need some more time so that I can finish the job. Oh, sun, would you stop? Moon, stop. Now, again, critics of the supernatural will say, that's impossible, Pastor Joshua. That's impossible because, well, I mean, doesn't Joshua know that, uh, it, that the geocentric solar system model is not accurate? The sun doesn't revolve around the earth, you silly Hebrew. The earth revolves around the sun. And Joshua doesn't care. He's not an astronomer. He's a warrior. He needed some more time in his day. Well, okay, let's, let's just say, okay, I understand that fact. Okay, what if, uh, if he did, let's say that he stopped the, the earth from revolving around the sun, then everybody would just spin off the earth. Everybody would, we would all fly off. Do you know that? If the sun, if the earth stopped moving, we, you know, gravity would just like, we'd, we'd just go flying out into the universe. So it's completely ridiculous, this supernatural story. All right, folks, it happened. What God is saying, he's saying, I am the God of time and space. God can stop time if he wants to. He started time. I would, I, I'm going to get the I'm going to get the DVD of this occasion when I go to heaven. I'm going to watch it. In my imagination, you know, when you watch these time travel movies or you know the old Twilight Zones when everybody freezes, that's probably what it was like. And I mean, I actually, it is scientifically possible because all the studies that they're doing right now and. Uh, space, time, and not astrophysics, but that other science, it, 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 it's possible. From what we understand about space and time, we can mess around with this kind of stuff. I think it's cool. So Joshua gets by far the biggest miracle, and not the most important or most significant miracle. The most important and the most significant miracle of all time is when Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can go into eternal life with him. That's the most important miracle. But this is the biggest. Because Joshua asked for it. What gave him the right to ask for this? Because day and night... He was meditating on the scriptures. He was observing everything that was in it. He was obedient. He gave the first fruits of all of his labors. He had the right to call on God. I think that's cool. We can do that too. All right, I got to wrap this up. Remember Caleb? Remember that guy? Back in Numbers, we talked about Caleb a bit. He was one of the first spies under Moses that went into the promised land. And he came back with the report. Him and Joshua and the other 10 guys, they came back with the report. They said, we can do this. We can take this land. It's cool. It flows with milk and honey. There's lots of resources there. There's tasty food. We don't have to eat icky manna anymore. We can surely do it. And the other ten idiots say, we can't do it. It's impossible. They have castles that have walls that go up, that reach up into heaven. And the Nephilim, the Anakites, those big giants are there too. These mysterious giants. I think they're alien hybrids myself. <laughs> so these are the big dudes, right? The basketball team is there. And 
the way that Numbers reads is that fear, that when these 10 guys started uh, regurgitating this stuff, spilling out this, these negative uh, words and these images, like we can't do it, it's impossible, there's giants in the land, and our eyes were like grasshoppers, right? Did you catch that? In our eyes, we are weak. So therefore, we are going to be perceived as being weak. So we can't do it. And, and Joshua and Caleb, they're so ticked off. Caleb tears his clothes. What are you guys doing? What a, and it says that fear and rebellion seeped into their hearts. Does fear produce rebellion? Yeah, it does, actually. Once we begin to say, we can't trust God, I, I fear to trust God, that's, that's a lack of faith, and it's rebellion. Caleb is so disappointed. He's 40 years old, and he knows that because of what they did, that entire generation believed that lie, had fear and rebellion bred into them, and they had to die out. They chose, because of the report of the 10, they chose to stay in the desert. It was their choice. They did not want to go into God's promise. They wanted to stay on spiritual welfare and to eat manda, the, the, the food stamps of the time. That's what they wanted to do. They didn't want to work for tasty food. Caleb was so ticked off. Forty years later, Caleb is 80 years old. And he says, remember for Joshua, remember 40 years ago when we did this thing? Well, Moses told me, he says, wherever I step will be my land. And I want you to give me that mountain. Hebron. Hebron was the nether biggest city in the north. It was a huge castle. Caleb says, chapter 14, 11, I am still strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I was just as vigorous to go into battle now I was then, as I was then. Now give me my mountain country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. Just as he said, Joshua blessed Caleb. He gave it to him. Okay, he gave it to him. Okay, the Anakites, this was not just a big city castle wall. It was the Anakites. It was the giants. It was the Nephilim. These are the ancestors of Goliath. And Caleb chooses the biggest city in the north that has the biggest dudes. Why is he doing this? Why doesn't he take the easy road? It's because he wants to humiliate the enemy of God because he was robbed 40 years earlier of walking into God's blessing. We are not grasshoppers. We're giant killers. And he goes in and he kills Anak's three giant sons. He's successful. He didn't give up. He wanted his inheritance, and he reached out, and he got it. And then finally, they end up taking 36 cities. They get a really strong foothold in all of the land. Joshua was faithful to the very end, unstoppable, but they didn't get everything. We'll look at that next week. At the very end of Joshua's life, he's, he's going to give a farewell speech. And he says something very important. 14, 24, 14. Now fear the Lord and you serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river, that would be Euphrates, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. This is crazy. These people have seen crazy miracles, and yet they still have, they still have gods in their, in their homes. 
there's still this competition between Yahweh and gods, these little calf gods and the war god and the prosperity god and the, the, the sex god. They still have all of these things that, that are ingrained into their, into their community. And Joshua is saying, okay, we're done. We've been successful. We've taken the land, but you guys have got to get this stuff out. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Josh, I don't have any gold calves in my bedroom. I don't have any astral poles. We'll talk about that next week. I don't have any astral poles that I'm worshiping. I, don't have, I haven't sacrificed my child yet to the god Moloch. been thinking about it. Um, especially since my wife has been at the women's retreat. I'm thinking about that one. It seems like a good idea. Um, Pastor Josh, I don't have any idols in my house. Oh, really? Let me ask you this. What is the symbol for success in the stock market? What is that statue that all the stockbrokers rub when they walk into their buildings whenever they begin their day trade? What is it? It's a big giant bull. Isn't that ironic? Is it coincidence? When... When, um, when Baal and his, his, uh, his bull, when he let the, the Canaanites down, they killed themselves. Oh, our God has betrayed us. <laughs> Fall my sword. <laughs> what do stockbrokers do when the bottom falls out? They jump off the building. It's because that's who they worship. They worship the same God that the Canaanites did. Do you? What are your gods? What do, you, what do you need to sacrifice? But if serving the Lord seems so undesirable, if it's so unpopular to serve the Lord, it's so restricting and confining and boring to you, then choose yourselves this day who you will serve. He's drawing a line in the sand. Whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites who, whose land that you are now living, but for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. You want to say that with me? But for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Amen. They said, okay, all right, Joshua, we're going to get rid of our calves. We're going to burn our astral poles. We're going to stop across your line, and we're going to serve the Lord with you. And they did for an entire generation, and they were successful in the land. You want to be successful? It's all right there. We can. You can do it. Let me ask you this. What's your inheritance? Is it your children? Aunt Rudith, you know. <laughs> Just don't poison her, okay? Just <laughs> right? What what is it? Let me ask you this. You guys know this one. This is good. Um What's the tabernacle now? What's the temple now? You guys know this. What? Our bodies. Our bodies are the temple. Our bodies are the, the, the new tabernacle, and the Holy Spirit lives within our bodies, right? So think of that, that picture in your mind. Okay, I, I am a temple that houses God. And the temple is in the promised land. I know you can't be in the promised land unless you win this prize and go to Israel with me in, in uh, two years or so. But she, Susan wants it. <laughs> I know she does. Um, what's your promised land? What's your inheritance? I'll tell you what it is. It's Jesus. He's your inheritance. 
He paid the ultimate price to get you so that you could have him, so that you could have his inheritance. The Gospel of John says, um, I am the vineyard and you are my vines. I am the promised land and you need to be planted into me so that you may bear good fruit. So Jesus is your promised land. Yeah, you can't go into the real promised land. It is special. I'll give you that. It is a very special place. But Jesus is the new promised land. Amen? Amen. You can have him. You can be planted in him. Uh, He doesn't serve you. You serve him. That big, uh, cool soldier who says, neither. I am for everybody. I'm going to redeem all creation, including the people that Noah cursed I'm going to redeem those Canaanites through the faithfulness of Rahab. I'm going to redeem your relationships by empowering your home with the Holy Spirit. So take care of your unforgiven sins. Clean up your own messes. I am going to redeem your finances if you allow me to. Mm. I told you that it was going to be a tough one. You might cringe a little bit, but it is for you so that you will become successful. They're going to have the band come up to the front and the ushers to come up to the front. And I need to get home really, really fast so I can clean the house. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for meeting us here in this place. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you will inhabit us like you inhabit the temple, that your Holy Spirit would live in us. And I pray right now that we will just radiate with your glory, that people will notice the difference in us as we walk and as we go about and are coming in and are going forth, that we will be a people that are set apart, a people completely transformed from this culture. I pray that they will notice us even though we dress alike and we look alike and we talk alike, that we will be a marked people, that we will be different. God, right now, we just pray for supernatural blessing over our finances. God, we pray for signs and wonders in our lifestyle. God, you are the God of time and space, and there's nothing that you can't do if we allow you to. So, Father, I pray that uh, that we will allow you to fight our battles for us. Forgive us for trying to do things within our own strength. Forgive us for open rebellion in our hearts and forgive us for a fearful lifestyle that has not been productive for us. So stretch our faith, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.